Welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today on Sojourner Truth, we bring you exclusive audio from the webinar entitled Stop Line 3 Digital Rally. Line 3 is a proposed pipeline expansion to bring nearly a million barrels of tar sands per day from Alberta, Canada to Superior, Wisconsin. It was proposed in 2014 by Enbridge, a Canadian pipeline company responsible for the largest inland oil spill in the United States. Enbridge now seeks to build a new pipeline corridor through untouched wetlands and the treaty territory of indigenous peoples through the Mississippi River headwaters to the shore of Lake Superior. Line 3 is on the same scale as the Keystone XL and Dakota Access pipelines. Not only does Line 3 violate indigenous rights, the pipeline would be a 10% expansion of tar sands. In total, the pollution this pipeline would carry is equal to about 50 coal power plants. That's right, 50 coal power plants. During today's program, you will hear presentations delivered at the Digital Rally Against Line 3, featuring Representative Ilhan Omar, Tara Hauschka of the Genoa Collective, Winona LaDuke of Honor the Earth, and Bill McKibben, co-founder of 350.org. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. I'm Max Pringle with these headlines. The Census Bureau will miss a year-end deadline today for handing in numbers used for divvying up congressional seats. It's a delay that could undermine President Trump's effort to exclude undocumented people from the count if the figures aren't submitted before President-elect Joe Biden takes office. The Census Bureau said it plans to deliver a population count of each state in early 2021, as close to the missed deadline as possible. It will be the first time that the December 31st target date is missed since the deadline was implemented more than four decades ago by Congress. Census officials cite COVID-caused delays in hiring extra staff and President Trump's attempts to exclude undocumented people from being counted. By law, the Commerce Department must present the president by year's end with population figures from the 2020 census, data then used to determine how many seats in Congress each state gets and how federal funds are apportioned. The president then is required to submit the numbers to Congress in early January. A powerful winter storm moving across parts of Texas and Oklahoma could dump up to 18 inches of snow in places today before moving eastward and possibly creating tornadoes. The National Weather Service says 12 to 18 inches of snow in southwestern Texas is possible. Forecasts say the storm then will move eastward, creating a threat of tornadoes across Louisiana and southern Mississippi this New Year's Eve, as the colder temperatures are met with moisture and warmer air. The storm produced what forecasters said was likely a brief tornado in Corsicana, Texas, on Wednesday. 
China has authorized its first homegrown COVID-19 vaccine for general use. It adds another shot that could see wide use in poorer countries as the virus spreads worldwide. The Sinopharm vaccine has already been given to groups such as healthcare professionals and essential workers under emergency use guidelines as part of China's program to inoculate 50 million people before the Lunar New Year holiday in February. But the go-ahead today should allow it to be supplied more broadly at home and moves Beijing closer to being able to ship it abroad. It comes one day after British regulators authorized AstraZeneca's inexpensive and easy-to-handle vaccine. Chinese health authorities say Sinopharm's vaccine is 79% effective against coronavirus. Both shots have been closely watched by developing countries. Hong Kong publisher and pro-democracy activist Jimmy Lai is back in jail after being denied bail for charges linked to Hong Kong's draconian new security law. More from FSN's Richard Kimba in Hong Kong. Crowds of people shouted their support for Jimmy Lai as he was driven away from Hong Kong's court of final appeal just a week after becoming the first person charged under the national security law to be released on bail. The decision is a significant victory for the government's Department of Justice. It says anyone suspected of breaching the national security law should be denied bail in the same way that someone charged with murder is. The Court of Final Appeals says it will now review the bail procedures and formally decide at a hearing on February 1st if a lower court judge made a mistake in releasing Mr Lai from custody last week. He's accused of endangering national security by colluding with foreign powers. US Vice President Mike Pence has described those charges as an affront to freedom-loving people everywhere. The UK and European Union begin their new post-Brexit trade relationship in a few hours. Both London and Brussels formally approved the deal this week. More from Feature Story News' Ollie Barrett in London. It sees the UK leaving the European single market and customs union but avoids tariffs on goods. Alex Altman is a Brexit expert at accounting and tax advisors Blick Rothenberg. He hopes the deal can be built on. In major areas, it's very thin. They negotiated this for nine months. It takes usually at least five years to come to a comprehensive trade agreement. For this one, they're focused on trade with goods only. The result is okay, but they will now have to continue negotiating for years to come to make this trade deal for the entire economy and not only for 20% of our economy. I'm Oli Barrett. A more contagious variant of the coronavirus has been found in California. State health officials are warning people to avoid New Year's Eve gatherings. They say hospitals in the state face being overwhelmed by a third virus surge within weeks. Meanwhile, Los Angeles County hit a grim milestone as the state's most populous county recorded more than 10,000 deaths. More from Christina Onestad. The coronavirus mutation, or variant, first discovered in the United Kingdom is now in California, Southern California, where hospitals are overflowing with coronavirus patients and some are having to turn them away or ration care. But the nation's leading infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, says nothing to panic over. There's no indication at all that it increases the virulence, and by virulence I mean the ability to make you sick. But the virus, said to be more contagious, hits California at a perilous time as daily deaths reach an unprecedented 432. California remains the first and only state to surpass 2 million people with infections. Nearly 25,000 people have died. I'm Christina Onestead, reporting for KPFA. And I'm Max Pringle. You're listening to Sojourner Truth on Pacifica Radio.
This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, and those were our news headlines. Now, we go to the Sojourner Truth special on environmental and indigenous resistance to line three, a proposed pipeline expansion to bring nearly a million barrels of tar sands per day from Alberta, Canada to Superior, Wisconsin. During today's program, you will hear presentations by a diverse panel of grassroots campaigners entitled Stop Line 3 Digital Rally. These include Representative Ilhan Omar, Tara Hauschka of the Genoa Collective, Winona LaDuke of Honor the Earth, and Bill McKibben, co-founder of 350.org. Let's hear from them now. I want to say thank you to our extended family that recognizes the urgency of now in terms of the climate fight here in Minnesota. When we have urgency, we ask for solidarity. When you have urgency, you ask for solidarity. It is the quality, the depth, and the breadth, and the love in our solidarity with each other in this climate justice movement that will deliver the results that we're all looking for in terms of national mobilization and global mobilization to keep greenhouse gases down, move them down to 350 parts per million or less, and also to move all of the world along a just transition pathway so that we can live our lives and pass on to future generations a future full of loving and caring for the earth as good relatives, loving and caring for each other as good relatives, and loving and caring for the future that we caretake together as though it's a sacred garden. So tonight, you are getting the blessing of hearing from some of the most powerful, gifted, committed people who are on the front line as we speak in northern Minnesota and who have been in solidarity with our fight here and with the fight of our other relatives all over Mother Earth since the climate movement you know, increased its level of urgency with the founding of 350 affiliates all over the United States and now in 180 countries around the planet. So we want to stop the Line 3 pipeline. That's what we're here to do. And let's just take a moment and breathe in our spirits and acknowledge we will succeed in this fight because it's necessary to succeed in this fight. We need to establish this as a national priority and get everybody in our particular ecosystems, our movement ecologies to resonate and move on this. Um, right now and until we win and after we win on all of the fights in the other landscapes where the fossil fuel infrastructure is continuing to find a way to sneak in and hurt the earth and hurt our, our families and children and the future. And we need to make sure that all of the eyes of the world are paying attention, are watching and are engaging and are ready to come in solidarity with us and help us stop this pipeline and stop the entire money pipeline that is feeding this addiction that's hurting all of us. Tonight, we have the pleasure of hearing from a lot of indigenous leaders who are here. So among the people who are speaking tonight are Winona LaDuke, Tara Hauska, and Tasha Martineau. Um, these three are living and breathing on the front line, being impacted by the structural violence caused by Enbridge's construction workers moving in because of the failure, the fundamental failure of our government to honor treaty rights and listen to the majority of voices in Northern Minnesota who've been saying clearly and consistently, the science demands this pipeline not be built, the economics demand that this pipeline not be built and the people 
demand that this pipeline not be built. So I want to first introduce a person who I think really doesn't need an introduction because she's one of the most famous and loved um, national level activators all over the world. And I've had the pleasure of knowing and working with her for many, many years since I first met Winona at a gathering of the North American Bioregional Congress in 1985. I don't know if you remember that, Winona, but I'm sure you do because you have a better memory than I do. Um, so she's internationally renowned as an activist working on the issues of sustainable development, renewable energy and food systems living and working on the White Earth Nation in northern Minnesota, two-time vice presidential candidate with Ralph Nader. As a program director for Honor the Earth, she's working nationally and internationally on issues of climate change, renewable energy, environmental justice with indigenous communities, and her own community. She's the founder of the White Earth Land Recovery Project, one of the largest reservation-based nonprofit organizations in the country, and is a leader on the issues of culturally based sustainable development strategies, renewable energy and food, and is also working to uh, nationally and internationally to protect indigenous plant and food heritage, heritage foods from patenting and genetic engineering. So Winona, thanks for being who you are and the way you throw down in all the ways, loving the earth and loving the people and challenging us all to step up and be the better relatives that we need to be with our native nations right now. Um, the floor is yours, my dear sister. Um, um, hello, my relatives. Thanks, Sam, for the gracious introduction. And I just want to um, thank you all for being here tonight, all my relatives. I want to say that um, I'm here this today. I put my, my prayers in the Shell River and I put my prayers in the Crow Wing River, two of the rivers that are part of the heartland of this place where we live here. You know, I, I, I call this, this a land where we live is where life is. It's where there's the, where the wild things are, such biodiversity and so much water. You know, the heartland of the Great Lakes and the rivers here go to the north and to the south. And this is the rivers that Enbridge wants to, to take for themselves. You know, it's ironic that as I talk to you tonight, I'm sitting at the Eighth Fire Solar, a tribal renewable energy, you know, project you know, where we sell solar panels. And why are we here? You know, at this moment in time, they call this the time of the seventh fire. You got a choice between two paths. One is well-worn and scorched and the other is green. And it is our moment to make that transition. That's what we got to do. Or I'll tell you what, we're going to be fighting over rocks and pipes for 20 years. <laughs> time to move on. Time for a just transition. Time to make something beautiful. As Aaron Dottie Roy refers to pandemic as portal, <laughs> this is that portal. And we must stand together. You know, we are in the last stages of what we call Windigo capitalism. The fossil fuel industry 20 years ago, Exxon was top dog for a few decades. Where are they now? They are no longer. The tech companies have taken over. The future is not about fossil fuels. The future is about renewable energy, local foods. The future is about infrastructure, which matters to people, not infrastructure for multinational corporations. And the future is about laws and justice and, and what we call the Green New Revolution, which is the hemp economy. That's what we're working on up here. So we're all ready. In the meantime, what you got is the most backwards infrastructure project in the North. You know, I think this is, is, is uh, Waltz's equivalent to the wall. <laughs> it's like Waltz's wall, a giant infrastructure project that Governor Waltz has approved for no apparent reason. I mean, 
The, the economics of tar sands oil last time we saw was minus $38 a barrel oil on the world markets, and now it's at 45 Tar sands oil, 82 bucks a barrel to get out of the ground. And if it gets into this pipe, this is the largest tar sands pipeline in the world. You know, Minnesota, we don't want to go small. I got to go big. Got to get the biggest damn pipe. <laughs> 915,000 barrels a day of just junk. And you know how much energy it takes to move that? All of Enbridge's main line, which is 75% of the tar sands oil coming into this country, all of that energy is the equivalent of two nuclear power plants. Energy is the, Enbridge is the largest energy consumer in the state of Minnesota. What kind of dumb economy is that? Like moving sludge, takes so much energy. And now here we are, seven years. Our people, Anishinaabe people have fought this project. We fought it for our water because our water is our life and it is everybody else's life as well. We fought this for our rice because this is the only place in the world that wild rice exists and this is where we live. This is the only place in the world where we live. And we and we fought this because we know that now is the time to stand for future generations. We have jumped through every hoop. We have participated in every regulatory hearing. We have been slapped time and time again by the Public Utilities Commission, the Department of Natural Resources, the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, and the governor. The tribes of Northern Minnesota, White Earth, and Red Lake have been slapped. And all, all of our people have, you know, as we look at this crazy, Canadian project. And what we see now is after all of these battles where we did not miss a step, we filed every appeal on time, we showed up in court, we drove thousands of miles as a community to make the system work. <laughs> what we are now facing is this pipeline with all of these approvals under some fantasy, you know, that this is a future. What this brings us is pipeliners from out of state by the thousands. The cars up here, the trucks are all from Texas. 4,200 workers coming into our territory. What this gives us is 630 million gallons of water being shipped out by Enbridge or dewatered and who knows destroyed. And what this gives us is the equivalent of 50 new coal-fired power plants in a time of climate crisis. <sighs> what a ridiculous situation. And so here we are at this moment, you know, and what we need you to do is to stand with us and challenge this. The White Earth Band of Ojibwe, the Red Lake Nation, honor the earth. You know, we have all joining with, uh, with the Friends of the Headwaters, filed suit after suit and have appealed every one of their decisions asking for a stay, asking for a stay in a pandemic, a pipeline in a pandemic. What are you doing, Governor Walsh? A pipeline during a pandemic. Do you really hate us that much? Really. And then, you know, beyond that, we have appealed the certificate of need and we have appealed the route. And we did that with the state of Minnesota. What we want is our day in court. Give us our day in court. And what everybody here knows is that pipelines don't do well in court. No new pipelines have been built. You know, what we have here is the last tar sands pipeline. And what a piece of junk of a legacy. You know, the last tar sands pipeline. That's like the last bad idea. So I'm here ready to pass this off to the next great person. So grateful for your attention to this. You know, we pray by our water. 
I'm legally considered a Chippewa of the Mississippi under the law. And my lodge is on the edge of the Mississippi River. And when I returned to my lodge on Friday of last week, there was an Embridge stake in the middle of my lodge. <laughs> I said, what kind of company puts a stake in the heart of your ceremonial structure? Where are you, Governor Walsh? Where are you and what are you doing? You know, so right now I got to stop work on my lodge. And they said they did, they would not plow me in my lodge under. But you know, we have a right to pray by the river. And we have a right to not have our public lands taken for a Canadian multinational. And we're going to stand for that. We're going to stand for the public trust and for the water. So, you know, please, please do join us. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Winona, for your words, your wisdom, your warriorship, your love. You have practiced such a level of humanity in this fight to those who are making the wrong decisions. And it's unfortunate for all of us that they're not listening. So now we will get the pleasure of listening to another um, warrior relative, uh, Tara Hauska, from the Kuchiching First Nation Anishinaabe. She's a tribal attorney, founder of the GNU Collective, and a former advisor on Native American affairs to Bernie Sanders. She spent six months on the front lines fighting the Dakota Access Pipeline. And she's currently really throwing down and engaged in the movement to defund fossil fuels and years long struggle against Enbridge's Line 3 right here in Northern Minnesota. She's the co-founder of Not Your Mascots, a group committed to positive representation of Native peoples. Ted Speaker, um, 2017 Harvard Public Interested Keynote received an awesome woman award and we all who get the pleasure of working with uh, you know Tara certainly know her as an awesome woman and an awesome relative and we're lucky to have the chance to follow her leadership and practice deep solidarity with her um, that nourishes her spirit. Um, in 2019 she received a Rachel's Network Catalyst Award from Melinda Gates. Oh that was the woman the, the amazing woman award was from Melinda, Melinda Gates. The Rachel's Network Catalyst Award is a separate award. She was featured in Women a Century of Change by National Geographic and she was named an icon on the out of the, on the cover of the Outside Magazine's 40th anniversary issue. She has contributed to women-led climate anthology All We Can Save, which I hope all of you have a copy of, you know, on your bookshelves. She's been featured in the New York Times, The Guardian, Vogue, Indian Country Today on CNN, MSNBC, CBC, CBS, Democracy Now, and the BBC. She lives and leads in the pipeline resistance camp in Northern Minnesota. Tara, we're happy that you took time away from being on the front line to engage this as part of the front line. We're here to hear your words. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, I came inside to uh, take advantage of this this lovely wi-fi over here at a fire solar so it's it's good to see you all uh um i am um i have to say it's a little hard these last few days it's it's hard to listen to the the machines tearing through the forest it's not a not an easy sound to uh sit with it's not an easy um, experience to come to at the end of so many years of going through the process, like Winona said, jumping through every hoop, going through every last last detail and last hearing and last moment of of trying to engage with these systems. Um, you know, my background is is 
I'm a lawyer, you know, I was a DC lawyer before I went out to Standing Rock and I've been out defending the land ever since. Um, I've seen intimately how these systems work and who they're built for and who they're influenced by. And it is a absolute travesty to see the democratic leadership of Minnesota choosing to just, just toe that, that status quo line and um, not take a stand for our future generations and for Indian people, you know, I mean, this is a direct violation of the treaty rights of the Anishinaabe people in this region, direct. It is a continuation of the history that uh, has been ongoing since Minnesota began, since the United States began, since Canada began. It's, it's this history in North America of dispossession and disenfranchisement and, and uh, oppression. So, um, yeah, we're at this moment and we have been uh, building in the meantime. I actually moved home once they started building line three around the state. I, I sensed that this company was going to do every last bit they were going to do to bully and get their way. And uh, here we are. So uh, for the last three years, we have been on the ground training hundreds of people to engage in direct action, hundreds of people to take that ultimate stand of, of sacrificing your body and your freedom for, for something greater than yourself. Um, I know that uh, it, it, we're on this national digi digital call or whatever, and we're in this pandemic and, and that's crazy to even think that we're building a pipeline during a pandemic, right? Where like governor walls has banned Thanksgiving dinner and Christmas with each other, but we can't have, but we're allowed to like have thousands of workers influx into the state I mean, that's madness, right? But it also shows like the kind of interests that are at stake, um, the kind of interests that are being protected. And so, um, you know, there's, a, there's been a process over this last year of, of how to get engaged in um, direct action, how to get engaged in these, this, this building resistance um, of teaching and training people. Um, I, I think there's links to this, but you can reach out to us at GNU at protonman.com. We've got a... Uh, a bunch of different uh, COVID protocols and um, asks for for people. You can't have the same 20 people, 40 people arrested over and over again. A couple of my friends just got felonies yesterday, and in that in that uh, in in the dispersal notice yesterday, the police officers told us that they would use mace and tear gas and rubber bullets on us if we didn't leave. That was in the dispersal notice. So that's the kind of situation that we're dealing with. We're dealing with a tank being parked down the road in Park Rapids, Minnesota, sitting at the county courthouse. We're dealing with uh, riot gear all over um, northern Minnesota in these tiny little towns. Last year, one of the people on this call actually was involved in a direct action who's going to speak. You know, they, they pulled out an entire riot line that day out in the woods on a dirt road and a mobile command unit. These are the, the, the forces that we're standing against. And this is the forces that I've, I've known ever since I've been engaged in land defense. Um, these systems are not built by us and they are not built for us. They are working exactly as they are supposed to. However, there are those moments of bravery, like Governor Whitmer over in Michigan, who said no to line five. And now Enbridge is suing Michigan, saying it can't actually over, oversee its own water. That's the kind of company we're dealing with here. And, and that's the kind of reality that we have on the ground. So to, to all of us that are looking at this and thinking about how do I get engaged this isn't just about one pipeline. It's not just about this one fight. It's about 
In this particular instance, yes, it's tar sands. It's line three, Keystone XL, Trans Mountain. We stop one of these pipelines, we're stopping the tar sands. That's the reality. This is the last last pipelines, as Winona said. But we also have to take a stand against, we have to do something different to transition. And to me, what I see is the George Floyd uprisings. How quickly do we go to talking about abolishing the police because millions of people were marching in the streets? That's what direct action means. Imagine a million people standing in front of these machines instead of just a handful. So please get involved. Please support the front lines. Please support the land defenders. Please support the people that are out looking for people like the missing and murdered indigenous women and relatives. There's another speaker that's going to speak to that, but really appreciate the time and the space and uh, be brave, be bold. Miigwech. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We're going to take a quick station break. When we return, we will continue our special on environmental and indigenous resistance to line three. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. All we want to do is take the chains off. All we want to do is break the chains off. All we want to do is be free. All we want to do is be free. All we want to do is take the chains off. All we want to do is break the chains off me. All we want to do is be free. All we want to do is be free. Can you tell me why? Every time I step outside, I see my die. Oh, I'm letting you know that it ain't no gun they make that can kill my soul. All we want to do is take the chains off. All we want to do is take the chains off. All we want to do is be free. All we want to do is be free. All we want to do is take the chains off. All we want to do is break the chains off. All we want to do is be free. All we want to do is be free. And welcome back to Sojourner Truth. If you've missed any part of this hour from 10 this morning for 90 days after that, just go to kpfk.org. Scroll down to archives, click on Sojourner Truth. You'll be able to listen to our show in its entirety, and you can check us out on our website at sotrueradio.org. If you are on Facebook, you can look for us and like us on Facebook. We're also on SoundCloud. You can go to the search bar and type in Sojourner Truth with Margaret Prescott to find us. And uh, we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners across the state of Alaska. And internationally, we would like to give a shout out to our listeners across the Middle East. Now, we return to our special on environmental and indigenous resistance, the line three. During the second half of today's program, you will hear more presentations by a diverse panel of grassroots campaigners in a webinar entitled Stop Line 3 Digital Rally. Let's hear more from them now. Ilhan Omar represents Minnesota's 5th Congressional District, and she is an experienced Twin Cities analyst, organizer, public speaker, and advocate. She was sworn into office on January 2019 in the heat of President 45's administration and had to endure a lot of you know, unnecessary, unproductive insults uh, to her character and leadership. Um, by the guy who's now on his way out. Um, she's the first Somali-American member of Congress, the first woman of color to represent Minnesota, and one of the first two Muslim-American women elected to Congress. So we're still in a time of many firsts here in the United States. 
As a legislator, she has been committed to fighting for the shared values of the fifth district, uh, values that put people at the center of democracy. Listen to that again, put people at the center of democracy. If we put people at the center of democracy, we would not have been needing to have this conversation tonight because our MPCA and our governor would have done the right thing. They did not because they did not put people first. She plans to focus on tackling many of the issues that she hears most about from her constituents, including climate justice. She also plans to resist attempts to divide and push destructive policies that chip away at our rights and freedoms and to build a more inclusive and compassionate culture, one that will allow our economy to flourish and encourage more Americans to participate in our national democracy. So without further ado, we are really, really lucky in her busy schedule uh, on a different front line for Ilhan Omar to be here with us tonight and share some words of wisdom and solidarity. Thank you so much, Sam, uh, and to all of you. It's really great to be here uh, in community uh, and in solidarity. I know we are all gathered tonight because we know time is running out to act on climate action. Uh, the first thing we need to do is accept that we cannot keep building fossil fuel infrastructures. It is dangerous and dirty. Enbridge has presided over some of the worst pipeline catastrophes in our nation's history. They enmeshed over 800 spills between 1999 and 2010 alone, including the devastating Kalamazoo River disaster, the largest inline oil spill in U.S. history. They've been sued by multiple states for failing to adequately inspect and operate their pipelines. But even if this pipeline miraculously never leaks, it will still be responsible for a staggering amount of greenhouse gases. Minnesota has made some great commitments to increasing renewable energy usage across the state but line three alone would undo all the aspects of that progress and it will be impossible to meet our climate goals. It is expensive. Line three would be the largest constructive project in the state history, but don't let that talk of private investment fool you. Inbridge gets massive subsidies at all levels of government. We could be using our tax subsidies and encourage that so-called private investment for infrastructure that will help us meet our climate goals and keep our air and water clean. We need infrastructure for the 21st century, not for the 20th or 19th century. Earlier this year, I introduced the End Polluter Welfare Act with Senator Bernie Sanders. There is no justifiable reason we are spending billions of subsidies, billions of dollars to subsidize the most profitable company in the world, especially while they're actively killing our planet. Almost most of all, Line 3 betrays the, the promises that we made to indigenous sovereign nations. For generations, American leaders have signed treaty after treaty with tribes only to immediately disregard them. We have an opportunity to do better by the mistakes that were made by prior generations. And I hope we take that seriously. When our grandchildren and great-grandchildren look back at this moment, 
of American history, they will ask why so many good people did nothing. Mm. Why so many of our fellow Americans allowed a handful of companies to destroy our planet for the sake of their bottom line. This is not a regulatory issue or a policy issue. This is a moral issue. We can either choose to stand with future generations and their planet, or we can allow the same handful of companies to sell us out for profit. I, for one, choose to stand with the planet and with the people, and I'm with you in fighting to stop line three. Thank you, Ilhan. I can't thank you enough for your bold, brilliant, loving leadership in our national government. And I wish for a day when you are surrounded by people who share your spirit of what it means to practice democratic representation. If everybody there was like you, we would be in a different situation. We have to work together to create that reality and that future outcome. Now it is my honor to introduce a young man who has been in this fight since he was just a kid. And he is still in this fight and he's offering amazing, loving leadership in this fight. And he's gonna break down for us the ways in which um, we can take statewide and national climate leadership from here in terms of next steps with the attorney general, next steps with the governor, next steps with legal challenges in Minnesota and at the federal government level in the treaty rights fight, you know, led by White Earth and, and Red Lake. So Andy Pearson, thanks for your leadership and thanks for the words you're gonna share with us now. And thank you so much, Sam, and uh, everybody else who spoke. It's just, just such a pleasure and an honor to be here. So my name is Andy. I, I work uh, with Sam at Minnesota 350. I have for about seven years, and Fighting Line 3 has been much of that time for me. Uh, I do want to talk about some basics. Kind of, We have a, a map that I think we're going to put up on the screen share here. There we go. Thank you. Uh, because I think it's helpful to get a visual on what the project is we're talking about. So I'm going to go over a little bit of history and talk about what it might look like into the future here. Uh, the Line 3 project, as we know, it's a pipeline under construction. Like Winona said, it would carry tar sands oil. That's this really heavy oil that's extracted up in Alberta, Canada. Um, it's inefficient to extract. It's dirty when you refine it. And when it's spilled, it sinks in water rather than floating. So it's really hard to clean it up. Uh, there's another pipeline that currently exists that's also called Line 3, and you can see it up there at top. It's orange. Uh, it's part of the Enbridge Mainline Corridor. It was built in the 1960s, and it's getting pretty old. Um, Enbridge wants to replace it, you know, air quotes, replace it with a new line, uh, but it's not really a replacement. You can see that in the map. That's the green line. That's what they want to do. That's what they're building now. They want to put it in a different place, a corridor where there aren't any Enbridge pipelines, through hundreds of wetlands and prime wild rice watersheds and through the 1855 treaty territory. And it's a bigger pipe than the old one. So just talk a little bit about the process that got us here. The pipeline's been fought since the day it was proposed back in 2014. We have gone through years of legal and regulatory process. Those processes have mostly found that the line is a bad idea. You know, Winona talked about the massive climate damage, 50 coal plants. Um, also, obviously, huge impacts. Um, the review processes found that the impact on Native communities in Minnesota would be adverse and disproportionate. Uh, they found the waters that the pipeline would cross would be some of the most sensitive in the state, including the Mississippi River headwaters. And even, even the judge who ran a lot of this process concluded that Enbridge's proposal didn't meet Minnesota law and the pipeline shouldn't be built. Uh, 
And unfortunately, we have an unelected government body called the Public Utilities Commission or the PUC, and, and they approved it anyway, um, ignoring a lot of the data that had been put in front of them, including climate and treaty impacts. There were 68,000 comments or about 94% of all public comments on the record saying not to approve it, but they did it anyway. So a lot of groups took the PUC to court, uh, and that's where we are now. So they're being taken to court right now by three Native nations, a bunch of grassroots groups, including some of the groups on this call, and even Minnesota's Department of Commerce, which is a state agency, because they say that Enbridge never showed this pipeline was actually needed. That's a really big deal to have a, a state agency in a lawsuit against another state agency that approved a pipeline. You, you know you did the wrong thing when you get that. These are really promising lawsuits and they deserve a chance to be heard in court. And until they are, the process isn't done. But these lawsuits won't be finished until next summer. And as we know, construction is happening now. So our governor, Tim Walls, as has been said, he could have done something here. He could have denied important water permits like many other governors have done for big fossil fuel projects, or he could have barred Enbridge from getting started in a pandemic. Instead, he's accelerated the process over overwhelming opposition, including from his own lieutenant governor, Peggy Flanagan, who is an indigenous woman from White Earth, which is one of the nations in court trying to stop the pipeline. So what does it look like from here, right? The courts could still stop the pipeline through a stay on construction. Uh, we hope that they do. We won't know about that for several weeks. There are also groups working on a federal lawsuit to overturn the Trump administration's water permits they gave for line three. There are major problems with those permits. We could see an order from that lawsuit process, which would stop construction. We could also see executive action from our governor or potential action from our attorney general in Minnesota, all powerful figures, all with potential levers that they could push, in particular the governor if he wanted to, to stop construction. Because that's what we need right now, is to stop construction. As we know, as we've heard, Enbridge is building, and they're building before, you know, before all the, all the words are in um, as to whether this pipeline is, is even something that's you know, aligned with Minnesota law or not. We know it's bad for so many reasons, and, uh, and we know that we need to stop it. So thanks so much, and I'll, I'll leave it there and turn it uh, back over to you, Sam. So the next person I want to introduce to you is a uh, medical doctor extraordinaire who has taken a significant amount of time in addition to her medical practice to be on the front line working with us through the pipeline resistance team of MN350. She's also an assistant professor of internal medicine with public health degree from Johns Hopkins Met Bloomberg School of Public Health. She's a practicing physician and has been caring for hospitalized COVID-19 patients in the Twin Cities during this pandemic. So she's very much on the front line. She's an active member <coughs> Health Professionals for a Healthy Climate, and an incoming national board member of Physicians for Social Responsibility. Lalitha Surapanini is, her areas of interest are climate change and health, and how physicians can play more of an active role in advocating for clean climate policies that promote planetary health. She has provided testimony to the Minnesota legislature on many occasions, is a science com uh, communicator and commentator and regularly speaks with media outlets on public health issues. Lalitha, we're really honored you're here. Um, please share your words of wisdom and health. Thank you so much, Sam, for that introduction. I'm so honored to be here today. Um, I wanted to share with you all some of the uh, science uh, behind the process so far, as well as the advocacy efforts of many uh, um, 
of the scientists and health professionals in Minnesota here. I wanted to share my screen uh, so that I could show you some slides. Uh, I moved to Minnesota two years ago, and that's when I first heard about Line 3. And um, so the first thing that I did was try to understand the impacts of it. And in a very typical science manner, I and my colleagues uh, wrote a paper that um, outlines the risks of health risks of construction, as well as operation of line three. And uh, we've already talked about all of these impacts. So we're, I'm not going to go into too much detail um, about these impacts. Um, however, there's uh, in addition to climate uh, and, and water uh, health, uh, there's also a much more imminent threat that is COVID-19. So um, as Sam mentioned, I uh, have been taking care of COVID-19 patients since uh, the beginning of this pandemic. Uh, those are the numbers um, from our state. And, you know, by the time I put them up, uh, they are going to increase. We are in a surge. Uh, however, Enbridge plans to bring 4,000 workers, half of them from out of state, uh, into temporary housing, so Airbnbs and rental properties across rural Minnesota. Health professionals across the state uh, were shocked that this was uh, allowed and green-lighted by all of our state agencies. And so around 200 health professionals signed a petition asking Governor Walls and the Department of Health to issue a stay on Line 3 construction as a COVID-19 mitigation measure. Uh, we did a lot of organizing in a very public manner. As you can see, uh, it was also reported in The Guardian. And then in the very last minute, Enbridge uh, put in a revised COVID-19 plan that says that the uh, bulk of workers, the peak of 4,000 workers, uh, will be in four weeks or around the end of this month. Um, but it shifts a burden of, you know, mitigating all of the COVID-19 impacts to individual workers. Bottom line is that there is no safe way of building a pipeline of this magnitude in a global pandemic. Um, I also wanted to share some of the advocacy efforts that we have all been involved in. Uh, over the past two years, many scientists from across disciplines and health professionals, including doctors, nurses, um, psychologists, have been uh, talking to Governor Walz's office and um, letting them know of the health risks that this pipeline poses. We were told to engage in the process, so we went to the Public Utilities Commission to give testimony. Uh, we stood outside in uh, the cold from 3.30 a.m. Uh, we stood in line so that we uh, get to testify and outline all of our concerns. You can see here some of uh, climate scientists and geologists, uh, water scientists were involved in providing testimony. However, the PUC, uh, as you've heard, issued a um, certificate of need for an oil pipeline in a climate crisis. Then we uh, went to the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency. And at this time, the organizing was online uh, because we were in a pandemic. And health professionals, despite uh, working in the hospital, also took time, uh, including medical students, took time to uh, ask the Pollution Control Agency to deny water permits. After um, refusing to consider climate impacts on water quality, uh, Minnesota Pollution Control Agency issued water permits. 12 of the 17 uh, members of Environmental Justice Advisory Group for the MPCA resigned uh, in protest. So we are here today 
where line three lies at the intersection of three of the really big issues that are facing us. In addition to climate crisis, um, COVID-19, we know, has disproportionately impacted uh, indigenous communities, BIPOC communities, and rural communities. So uh, I'm so glad that you're all here today. Uh, Line 3 is not just a Minnesota issue. Uh, the carbon footprint of this pipeline alone is 5% of US annual greenhouse gases. Uh, it is an issue uh, that needs national attention. And this is not just an environmental issue either. Um, this is a public health issue that impacts everyone, no matter what side of the pipeline fight we are on. And so I'm, I'm glad that you're raising your voice with us because the actions we take today will impact the health of generations to come. Thank you. Thank you, Lalisa, for your wise words and your leadership and engagement in this struggle. Um, Taisha Martineau, who was not able to get on you know, right away um, earlier is now here. And so we will take some time to hear from them Again, Taisha is a founder of Gichigumi Scouts and is very actively involved in many ways, in addition to the, the campaign that MN350 is running for missing and murdered indigenous relatives. She is also really deeply involved as one of the warriors on the front line in this fight against Line 3, which we will win. Taisha, welcome, and please share your words of wisdom and solidarity and you know, guide us in this movement moment. Bonjour. Hello, my name is Teja Martineau. I'm a two-spirit Indigenous anarchist from the Fond du Lac Reservation, co-founder of Gichigumi Scouts, and um, I am currently putting my body on the line to try and stop Line 3 here in my home community of the Fond du Lac Reservation. That puts me in a really difficult space because, you know, you have many many strong frontline warriors who are throwing down in Palisades, Grand Rapids, all across the board. Um, my fight is here, my fight is here at home. And I grew up in this community, I was raised in this community, and I know every single person in this community. That includes people who are subcontracted to work for the company, that includes the police officers who have to respond to the calls. And it's just, you know, when the fight is at home, it's like, this pipeline isn't just, you know, Enbridge is not just tearing up the land. They're, they're dividing an entire community. Um, I'm not sure if, I'm not sure where the fight is going to go from here, but I know that it's just starting and I made a solemn promise to the next seven generations that I would stop line three. I made a promise to all four of my beautiful children that I would stop line three. And um, today I had a confrontation with a police officer that, you know, growing up, he was a real inspiration in my life. Um, I didn't have many people in my life that I was able to look up to. There weren't many safe people in my life. Um, I come from a family that struggled with addiction and there was a lot of subsequent issues that resulted in me being removed and me being raised in the foster care system. But I do remember growing up that every time every time that the police were involved, it was this officer. And his name's Christopher Durfee of the Fond du Lac Police Department. And, you know, he was the one who would swoop in and bring us to safety, you know? So this isn't just 
some random officer, this is, this is a family member, you know, and knowing that I have to face off against him because of the choices that we've made in life and because of who we've become on our path, it really tears me up inside. And um, I was able to have a emotional conversation with him about that today. There's a live feed on my Facebook page that you can watch and witness that interaction with Christopher Durfee today. Right now, the fight in Fond du Lac is just Northern Clearing. They've been showing up and just We've been showing up as well. We made a promise that every time Enbridge work happened here on Fond du Lac, we'd put boots to the ground and we would disrupt it. And right now our fight hasn't been too heavy, just showing up, just making a present and just presence and just being vocal enough. Uh, they cease work and we're able to stop um, construction and their work just by being present there. And um, I understand that moving forward, that's not going to continue. The, the, the work isn't going to be that easy. And I'm prepared for that. There are many frontline Indigenous people here who are gearing up for the fight ahead. Um, we're going to make a trip up to support Winona and Gnu up there at Palisades. And just moving forward, I'm grateful humbled and honored to be on this journey with so many amazing people you know I've met there's been many times where this journey's gotten hard and I've been scared but the support I feel from my line three resistance family is so strong and you know they say the the humble never stumble and I see that with all of my amazing friends who are throwing down and you know risking their own safety so that we can stop line three. And I say when, I don't say if, because I know together we will stop line three. And I'm just happy to be in the space with you. I'm sorry, everyone, that I was late. I am not great at technology, but I'm happy to be here sharing this space with all of you, miigwech. Taisha, thank you so much for making sure that we got you in and you were able to share your important words and leadership in the struggle with the people who are in the call. And uh, we look forward to continuing to support your leadership in the struggle. And as you say, um, we're in this fight to win it. We will, because we must stop line three. I wanna now introduce a brilliant young activist who is one of the many youth climate interveners who showed up to say, along with Greta Thunberg, who's been made famous for this, but before Greta, there were many other young people who stepped forward in this fight, including the youth climate interveners who said, Adults aren't taking enough responsibility. We are now going to legally intervene. So I want to give a warm welcome to um, Frances Weatherall, and she's going to share a poem with us. So Frances, please share. Yeah. I want to recognize that it's a little bit difficult for us to feel each other's presences while we're in cyberspace here. Um, but I want to acknowledge that we have over a thousand people here um, and just try to visualize for a minute a thousand people with you right now because that's what's happening. Okay. The poem is called Why Today? <sighs> today the water rises. Today the dream begins. Today your heart, today your voice can sing. Today the air is warm. Today, the call is new, the push and pull of wind, the breath inside of you. Today, the earth is turning, 
Today the forest's burning. Today the rumble neath their feet is fracking stomach gurgling. Today the fire catches, the one inside our bones. Whoosh, we are the matches. Today we aren't alone. We're out of time. I'd like to thank all of the speakers featured in today's show, as well as Stop the Money Pipeline for allowing us to share their audio with you. I would also like to thank the Sojourner Truth team, Romero Funes, our assistant producer and today's audio engineer. If you'd like a copy of today's show, you can contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230 or go online to pacificaradioarchives.org. Remember to visit our website, sotrueradio.org, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, our handle there, at SoTrueRadio. Thank you for listening, and we want to wish each and every one of you all the best for 2021. 2020 was a difficult year in so many ways. Um, My friends tell me that we have now begun the age of Aquarius. So perhaps there is something uh, to that, but um, a very, very happy new year to you. Please stay well and safe. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Thank you for listening.